Chapter 3, Part 1 of Sin and Its Consequences by Henry Edward Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3, Venial Sin, Part 1. He that knoweth his brother to sin a sin which is not unto death, let him ask, and life shall be given to him who sinneth not to death. There is a sin unto death, for that I say not that any man ask. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. There is therefore a distinction between sins unto death and sins not unto death, or in other words, sins that are mortal and sins that are venial, a distinction not spun out by the subtleties of theologians, but written broadly in the word of God last time i spoke of the sins unto death it remains for me now to speak of the sins that are not unto death the sum of what i said last time is this that the sins unto death are deadly for that they separate the soul from god god is the life of the soul and the soul separated from god is dead a soul separated from god in this world unless restored to union with god in this world by the operation of his grace and of repentance after the death of the body will be separated from god for all eternity such is the second death or in other words is hell i drew out the reasons to show the existence and the necessity of hell that hell or the loss of god forever is in strict truth the perpetuity of the state of separation from God which the sinner has freely chosen for himself in this world, and that so hell is linked by an intrinsic necessity to mortal sin, that the separation of the soul from God through mortal sin results by an intrinsic necessity from the unchangeable perfections of God on the one hand and the obstinate variance of the created will against god on the other and that therefore every soul that dies eternally dies by self-murder it is not more a just judgment pronounced at the bar of a future tribunal than an intrinsic necessity of that state to which the soul has freely reduced itself this is the sum of what i have already said and I now go on to those sins which are not unto death, of which in the common language of theology are called venial. The word venial is used here in the sense of pardonable. Venial sins are those which may be pardoned. In a general sense, there is only one sin which cannot be pardoned. Every mortal sin that man commits, if repented of, may be pardoned every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven except only the blasphemy of the holy ghost that shall never be forgiven either in this world or in the world to come matthew chapter twelve verse thirty one and therefore in one sense and that in a general sense every mortal sin is venial in this way that it may be pardoned to the true penitent through the precious blood of jesus christ but the technical sense of the word venial is something precise and distinct 
it means those sins which may be found in souls that are united with god and are in the grace of god and in the love of god and in a state of habitual obedience this needs to be more carefully explained and i am conscious that in explaining it i ought to distinguish between venial sins and temptations but time will not now suffice i must hope hereafter to find an occasion on which i may speak of the subject of temptation as distinct from sin therefore i intentionally set it aside at present the sins which may be found even in holy men are sins of infirmity committed through weakness or sins of surprise committed by sudden or strong temptation or sins of impetuosity where passion carries a man for a moment beyond self-control or sins of indeliberation that is done in haste before as yet conscience and the reason have had time to deliberate and weigh what they are about or lastly they may be sins committed with some degree of deliberation now the seven mortal sins as they are called anger pride gluttony impurity ambition jealousy and sloth these seven are the capital sins under which almost every kind of sin may ultimately be reduced and of those six at least may be venial the seventh is one in which if any man sin deliberately with his eyes open and with the consent of his will he can hardly be free from mortal sin because lightness of matter cannot be supposed in that instance to exist i mean sins against the holy virtue of purity but sins of anger of pride of gluttony of ambition of jealousy of sloth are susceptible of degrees and shades and distinctions and they may be committed as i said before through infirmity through surprise through impetuosity and without deliberation and even with some degree of deliberation without being mortal this will explain what we read in holy scripture the just man falleth seven times who can understand sins for my secret faults cleanse me o lord proverb twenty four verse sixteen psalm eighteen verse thirteen it is clear that even the saints of god through infirmity and through temptation have offended against god and yet they have not broken their friendship nor separated their souls from him for example all those who preserve their baptismal innocence are in a state of union with god and all such will be saved they are united with god through the indwelling of the holy ghost they are children of god and if they die they will most assuredly inherit the kingdom of heaven nevertheless all those who preserve their baptismal innocence and i trust that many who hear me have never lost it are conscious while they hear me of the multitude of personal faults and it may be habitual faults of temper of ambition of jealousy of which they are guilty 
is there any one here who will venture to say he is not conscious of some besetting sin of some perhaps of many faults and yet he may still be in the grace of his baptism and of this we may believe our lord spoke when he said he that is washed hath no need save to wash his feet but he is clean every whit john chapter thirteen verse ten that is to say he has been cleansed in the precious blood of jesus christ in holy baptism therefore those lesser sins are washed away by sorrow by contrition by mortification and by absolution once more i will suppose that a man has fallen from his baptismal grace and that through a true conversion and a real and solid repentance he has returned to god perhaps some who hear me are in this state they are conscious that they would rather lay down their lives than offend god again in the way in which they had offended him before nevertheless they are perfectly conscious of a multitude of faults against god and their neighbor and yet those faults do not prevail to break their union with him nor to turn away the friendship of god from them and they have not relapsed into their former state we are in fact like soldiers in warfare wounded we must be and spotted and splattered by the blood of the conflict we are laborers out in the field and the soils and stains of our toil will cleave to us we are wayfarers in the road and the dust will settle upon us even when we do not know it we cannot go out of the world and the world's evil we are in contact with it and it will cast more than its shadow upon us it will cast its stain and the stain will abide the most perfect machine constructed with the most faultless accuracy if it be jarred by a shock is at once thrown out of gear it loses its perfect action and its motions become eccentric so it is with human nature it was created perfect in the image of god with the three perfections natural supernatural and preternatural of which i have spoken already but by the shock of the fall was thrown out of gear it became eccentric it lost its rest upon god its true centre and it began to turn faultily round itself the three wounds of the soul ignorance in the intellect turbulence in the passions weakness in the will are the injury done to that perfect machine wherefore continually our nature is acting abnormally that is in departure from the law of its maker this seems to be the apostle's meaning when he says i know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me but how to perform that which is good i find not for the good that i would i do not but the evil which i would not that i do now if i do that i would not it is no more i that do it but sin that dwelleth in me but i see another law in my members 
warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members unhappy man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death romans chapter seven verses eighteen through twenty four these were the words of the holy ghost by the apostle and this is precisely what i have been describing the apostle was a saint of god in union with god in friendship with god but he was conscious that in himself there was a perpetual warfare a turbulence in his nature a weakness in his will yet those sinful emotions passions and temptations were not sins only an act of consent could make them sins in the sight of god we have got then what i may call a definition of venial sin it is a transgression of the law of god a thought word or deed at variance with the will of god through infirmity and without deliberate malice this will suffice to distinguish the sin which is not unto death from that which i described last time where with eyes open and willing consent a sinner breaks the law of god in the face of god what i have now to point out are the consequences of these venial sins it is quite true they do not break our friendship with god but do not for one moment deceive yourselves by thinking that venial sins are what are called little sins there is no such thing as a little sin before i have done i hope to convince you that all sins are great even those that are not unto death the consequences then of venial sins are these number one first venial sins diminish the grace of god in the soul when theologians say that venial sins diminish grace they always make this distinction they do not mean to say that the quantity of the grace of god is made less because the grace of god is like life which cannot be diminished we are either alive or dead but the living powers may be diminished life remains but the health and the vigor and the strength of the living man are lessened therefore the diminution of grace means that it diminishes the fervor and the operation and energy and efficacy of grace st bernard says that fervor that is to say the life of fidelity and obedience has many effects and two of those effects are these first it renders whatever we have to do easy to us and secondly whatever we do easily we do with pleasure and find a sweetness in it they know this who have learned to speak a foreign language or to use a musical instrument nothing is more tedious repulsive or trying than the acquisition either of a foreign language or of the practice of music but the moment we have attained a certain facility in either there is a sweetness in exercising that acquired skill so that we are ready at all hours to practice it and at every moment we have a sensible enjoyment in making use of the acquired facility 
now it is just so with obedience with prayer with mortification which is the most repulsive of all things to our nature they who use self-denial and mortification grow to love it and find a sweetness in it but the moment they begin to indulge venial sins of any sort or kind they begin to lose that sweetness the moment they begin to commit venial sins of worldliness of vanity of self-indulgence the palate becomes vitiated the taste is spoiled the pure spiritual taste which makes self-denial and prayer sweet to them loses its purity and the world's excitements pleasure vanity flattery incense and the like become sweet and as these things become sweet the facility of prayer and self-denial is lost and they become difficult a repugnance to them grows up they are done with effort they are postponed they are limited they are restricted they are reduced to a minimum and finally the fervor of the soul is lost what then is fervor it does not mean emotion fervor consists in these three things regularity punctuality and exactness that is doing our duty to god by rule doing it punctually at the right time and exactly that is as perfectly as we can but if we have been indulging venial sins of any sort or kind we begin to do our duty towards god in a slovenly way we neglect the right time we do it irregularly we put god off with an imperfect service those venial sins are like the dust settling upon the perfect machine of which i spoke as the dust accumulates upon the timepiece the motion of the timepiece becomes slower and as it becomes sluggish it loses its perfection so again as i said mortal sin is the death of the soul but venial sin is the disease of the soul those who willingly allow themselves to fall into such infirmities and imperfections which are not yet mortal are like men who are making bad blood men in whom morbid humors are accumulating a lingering malady is upon them through ill using the vigor of their life this is the first effect number two we are always receiving sufficient grace from almighty god who in his infinite mercy maketh his son to rise upon the evil and the good who sendeth his reign upon the just and the unjust matthew chapter five verse forty five there is a perpetual flood an inundation of the grace of god coming down upon the whole race of mankind but most especially upon those who are in the light of his faith and in the unity of his fold well the effect of these venial sins these personal faults these besetting infirmities i will not again go into a detailed account you must individually examine your hearts and make application the effect of these sins is to hinder the reception of grace to shut grace out the apostle says 
we are not straightened in him we are straightened in ourselves two corinthians chapter six verse twelve if our hearts were as large as his hand we should be filled with his grace but our hearts are narrow the hands of almighty god which are infinite are perpetually pouring out grace upon us it is like the rain that comes down upon the sand of the shore or upon a hungry sea or upon the stony mountains there are two kinds of grace we are continually receiving the one is the grace in the sacraments the other the grace out of the sacraments the grace in the sacraments is of two kinds every sacrament has what is called the grace of the sacrament and also the sacramental grace these words seem very much alike but the things are very distinct in baptism the grace of the sacrament is the gift of the indwelling of the holy ghost in the soul by which we are made children of god the grace of adoption whereby we can cry abba father the sacramental grace is the grace of the holy spirit accompanying that chief grace whereby we are enabled to fulfill all the duties that belong to the children or to the sons of god this is the meaning of saint john when he says to as many as received him to them gave he power to be made the sons of god john chapter one verse twelve that is every baptized person has grace from the time of his baptism to fulfill every duty of the love of god and of his neighbor every duty of piety towards god every duty of obedience so that at no time in his life childhood boyhood youth or manhood will he ever fail of doing his duty towards god from any lack or denial of grace on god's part but those who having received the grace of baptism as i have said in this twofold sense begin from early childhood with all manner of little faults and grow up to boyhood and youth with faults growing stronger and stronger and more and more in number yet perhaps not arriving at sin unto death such men are continually choking stifling keeping down the working of grace within them so again in the sacrament of penance those who have come to the sacrament of penance in mortal sin and therefore without the love of god and unable to bring with them any sorrow whatsoever except the sorrow of fear and hope receive in the sacrament the grace of charity that is the love of god is restored to them afterwards they are able to make the acts of contrition perfect in kind though not perfect in degree and fulfill all the duties of a penitent but if they begin to return to their venial sins to give way to their infirmities impetuosities and temptations in the manifold kinds i have described the spirit of penance contrition and humility is hindered and lasts but a little time once more perhaps one of the most wonderful phenomena of the spiritual life is this 
that whereas one communion worthily made in which we receive the precious body and blood of jesus christ is enough to make us tabernacles of the holy ghost and saints there are those who go to holy communion every week and perhaps every day and to our shame there are priests of god who every day offer the holy sacrifice and receive the precious body and blood of our lord and yet are not saints it is a miracle of our insensibility and earthliness that we should be what we are and yet be daily holding in our hands the holy sacrifice of the body and blood of jesus christ why is all this the grace of that sacrament is the presence of our lord the sacramental grace is the abundance of the outpouring of his spirit which accompanies the holy sacrament as the rays of the sun go with the sun where the sun is the splendor of his presence is besides and if our hearts were not narrow and cold and choked by a multitude of faults and infirmities we should be so filled by one communion that we should be elevated from the low level on which we are to a life that is far above us next there are the graces out of the sacrament there are lights by which god makes the soul to know his truth and by which he draws the soul to his presence we read in holy scripture when thou hast said seek my face my heart said thy face lord will i seek psalm 26 verse 8 such is our answer but it is a ray of light from him it is a ray of the light of divine truth and of the divine grace which speaks to the intellect and the conscience if we would open our intellect with sincerity to receive the light of truth and our conscience to receive the attraction of divine grace it would fill and illuminate us but by faults of self-indulgence worldliness fear of man and human respect we bring a film over our eyes and the inward eye of the intellect and conscience at last loses its faculty of discernment its sight is confused like men who have what is called color blindness they cannot distinguish colors they put red for green and green for red and so some people put light for darkness and darkness for light and sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet as the prophet says that is confusing together the grace of god and the inspirations of nature we are all between two attractions there is the attraction of god and the attraction of the world and without breaking with god there are multitudes who are living under the play and influence of the world they would not break with god for anything that could be offered even for the world and all contained therein nevertheless they would not break with the world and they tried to do that impossible thing that is to serve god and mammon thus they are in the condition of which our lord speaks when he says behold thou art neither cold nor hot i would thou were cold or hot 
but because thou art neither cold nor hot but lukewarm i will cast thee out of my mouth apocalypse chapter three verse fifteen end of chapter three part one